Thanks for tuning in to the Medevac Podcast, powered by the Robert Irvine Foundation, whose mission is to support and strengthen the physical and mental well-being of our nation's heroes and their families. I'm one of your hosts, David Reed. And I'm your other host, Christian Myers. Thank you very much for joining us today on the Medevac Podcast. If you're new here, there's a price for the show. You have to share it with a friend or family member if you get something out of today's episode. We've got a really good guest today, so you're going to get something out of today's episode. Our guest is Cody Van Boxel. He is a... uh, uh, former Marine, not ex-Marine. I need to be careful with that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Watch myself over here. Is it even yeah. former still? Uh, most Marines just still refer to themselves as a Marine. Got it. <laughs> he used to could be a Marine. <laughs> he was a Marine from uh, 2003 to 2009, uh, got into business afterwards, and now he is the executive director of national headquarters of DAV, which is a very prominent nonprofit. Welcome, Cody. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for joining today. Absolutely. Thanks. I couldn't be happier uh, to be joining you guys. Yeah. It's super exciting because DAV is a very large organization, and we're going to dive into the details of what this organization does. Um, But first, let's rewind it back and and find out a little bit more about you and why you were motivated to join the military and specifically how you got into the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. Sure. So... I grew up uh, northeast Ohio, uh, quasi-rural type area, um, and uh, you know I knew from a young age I was going to join the Marines, and mm. it was uh, a very blue-collar kind of area I was uh, I was in. Um, my parents were very hard workers, uh, but you know I wasn't uh, I wasn't destined for a free ride to college. Mm. Uh, I mean, if I was going to do that, I was going to pay my way through, and I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't apt at hitting the books in school. I wasn't, uh, although I, I got by, I wasn't excited about school. So uh, very early on, I, I, I recognized the Marine Corps. And um, so I was I was kind of chubby. I wasn't in good shape. I, I, I skimped out on gym class and did those things. But I thought, you know, if I if I join a branch, and, and no offense to present company, but I thought, you know, the Marines have the reputation for general infantry purposes of being the toughest. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so that's yeah. what I'm going to do. And so um, it kind of led me down that path. It's very, you know, where I'm from, it's a very patriotic part of the country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a very honorable path. So uh, that kind of led me down that route. Uh, I went uh, to boot camp a week after graduation because uh, I was afraid I was going to chicken out. So a lot of folks will, will enjoy <laughs> summer. Yeah. I knew myself well enough. And I thought, <laughs> I better go. I better I better get on the bus and get down there. And uh, sure enough, I did. I joined, uh, got into uh, communications electronics. Mm. Uh, did that for a little bit before uh, transitioning out of that. Yeah. Okay. So, like, was there family members that were in the Marine Corps? Like, wh- where does that stem from? You know, there wasn't. Mm. Um, you I, just, like, since a kid, you just it's, knew. It's the movies. Mm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's the uniform. Sure. The I movies. Mean, they, they do wonderful marketing, and, they, and I think they will never change the dress blues. <clears throat> I mean, they're glorious. So <laughs> they they lure yeah. you in. I mean, I, I have to they tell still you, got the uh, they do. And and being an eighteen year old kid coming home from boot camp leave, you look quite forward to going to the mall and hanging out in those things. Oh, right? absolutely, you get all the attention. Yeah, on the sure. birthdays, you get to brush them off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doesn't it's matter funny, how long those, you've been out. Those short sighted things make help make our decisions, right? It's like, well, you know, this basic training in the Air Force is a lot easier, so I just might go that route, or you know, things like along those lines. Yeah. I get to hang out in my dress blues at the mall afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how it's those fu- little things. It's funny too because you'll yeah. still see 60, 70 year old men in their dress blues at Christmas time at the mall. So yeah, it's also it true. Perpetuates through your life. That's also it. True. It, it is, is a lifestyle yeah. um, that that they really just drive into you, mm-hmm. um, and and that 
had to be attractive. Did you come from like a rough upbringing at all or? You know, I wouldn't call it rough. Um, you know, there was some adversity at times. Mm-hmm. I mean, so uh, the the town I grew up in kind of bordered where I went to school, a more affluent area. Uh, we were not affluent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a little different growing up where, where a lot of kids had a lot of things we didn't have. Sure. Um, but I, I think that helped instill a, a solid work ethic in me. You Absolutely. Know? And so I had a really good foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of things the Marine Corps taught me. I, I And I'll say it, I, I before the Marine Corps, I was a quitter. <laughs> I just, I wouldn't follow things through. I mean, whether okay. it was school or work or anything like that, a lot of times, if it got too tough, I quit. Mm. Um, mm. And recognizing that I feel like is huge. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you know, and and it was it was just that, and in, in, and I know everyone gets this. Anyone that served, right? In your military career, you've been pushed to the limit, right? And then some, and you finally realize I can I can do whatever I want. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, there's I'm my limit, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, is that really recognition that has, has served me well in life? But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's a big big transition. Is that something that you recognized early and were nervous about when you were leaving for the Marines? Did you? Did you think you were going to end up quitting that? or? Well, that's one of the reasons I chose the Marines, too. Okay. It's, like, it's pretty tough to get out yeah. once you're there. And why you left a week after, exactly. okay. after yeah. Yeah. high school graduation. Yeah, that's Absolutely. good self-awareness, especially at a young age like that. Mm-hmm. Most most young kids don't have that, <laughs> that type of Well, is, is it self-awareness? Did you know that during the time? Or yes, is I that something? That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I sure did. That's I pretty mean, it was, you know, I, I guess... Um, it, it was a mental thing, and yeah. I knew. And there's things I would I would quit when, whether it was sports or something. I got too yeah. hard or whatever it was, and I and I quit or school assignments or things like that. I didn't follow through. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I knew I had the wherewithal to go. Well, you know, I should probably finish that, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> I'm a teenager, right? Yeah. Um, so you know, I I was very cognizant of it, mm-hmm. and you know, I just. But it, but once I was once I was in the Marine Corps, right? You don't think about that anymore, yeah, right? Sure. It just happens. It's just yeah. fluid. It's part of the environment, and I mean, it's purposeful, right? That's mm-hmm. what they're training everyone to push them to show them what they can accomplish and what they can truly do. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it almost seems like you wake up one day and you go, I can do anything, mm, right? Sure. And, and it, it's like an epiphany, um, yeah. you know. And that's absolutely what happened for me. Invincibility is something they instill really well in the Marine Corps as well. You just feel like you could tackle any project known to man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, it, uh, even today, I mean, I think my wife has to reel me in sometimes. Like you're, <laughs> you're getting a little bit older. You know? <laughs> yeah. Take it easy. Gotta warm up them <laughs> hips yeah. first. Yeah, getting slower out of the bed in the morning. Something sore hurts, you know? Yeah. So um, you got to start reeling it in at a certain point because, yeah, it sticks with you. So yeah. in, the, in the Marine Corps, what are some of those skills you honed and developed that you think you translated really well? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so just speak a little bit more to the to the career first. So I was in uh, communications, so I was in the technical field, and mm-hmm. I was working on, on radio equipment. Um, and it was a really factory-type environment, right? And, and I got bored. So I said, I need to do something else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like most branches, I mean, there's B-billets, there's other opportunities. Some people refer to recruiting and things like that, right? So I'm looking at what's available. I'm in Okinawa, Japan. Um, there was visitors coming to sell Marines on um, the Marine Security Guard program. They were going to be at the base theater, right, in two weeks. I thought, well, I'm going there. I'm going to sign up for recon and see if I can sign up for the in-doc for recon or Marine combat instructor, which would go to um, back to the state side and, you know, train Marines in combat training. Okay. Well, of course, two weeks around the corner was the Marine Security Guard. I'm like, well, it looks interesting. I'll put in an application. And they jumped on it. I had orders to go Marine Security Guard, right? So I go through the schoolhouse in Quantico, Virginia, train, um, pass that, and I'm assigned to my first embassy, uh, which was in West Africa, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, mm. in West Africa. And the reason I really bring that up, because it was a really unique experience that really set me up for success outside of the Marine Corps, because people don't realize, but the Marine Security Guard program at U.S. embassies 
is a partnership with the Department of State. Yeah. yeah State so Department. you have yeah. Marines who are working for the Department of State who may be answering to a Department of State employee or representative, such as the ambassador, you know, of the embassy or consulate. Um, it teaches you a lot of tact mm-hmm. and patience, right? Because now you're going from the Marine Corps, kill, 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 to okay, let's be diplomatic. Let's talk yeah. this out, right? Mm. And it is an unbelievable balance. And, and I think, you know, Marine security guards, you'll see them in all walks of life. Um, there's others at the DAV. Um, I see them all over the place because it just creates this amazing balance where you you're, you're teach those those raw skills of the determination, not mm. quitting, pushing through and doing all that. But then you get this other softer side, which also teaches you how to communicate, teaches mm. you how to work with people, yeah. right? He teaches you, you know, levels of respect and hierarchy and all these things that is business in the private world, right? Marines day to day don't get that business, private, civilian piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got three years of exposure to that, mm-hmm. you know, through my time on the Marine Security Guard program. Mm. That's so, a d- dichotomy there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, what uh, what type of responsibilities do you have as a Marine Security Guard? What's, what's that experience like? So, um, what it is is so there's Marines at embassies and consulates throughout the world. The primary thing is the reason they're there is to protect classified information. Sure. So if there's Marines guarding an embassy, there's something classified there, right? And also mm-hmm. people. Um, so, you know, they'll kind of be the gate guard kind of thing, right? Controlling the those super secure areas mm-hmm. if there's. Um, austerity, if there's an attack or something like that, right? They're the, the first responders. They're the mm-hmm. ones that are going to handle that. I mean, you'll have detachments. Uh, I was in Vilnius, Lithuania. Um, there was five of us and a detachment commander, right? That okay. was that's it. And so, you know, we were the we were the response team. We're the ones. There's 24 seven. One Marines on duty. Mm. Um, I was in Iraq, so I was in Baghdad um, for uh, just shy of a year. That's of course a little different, right? So we had a much larger detachment there. Still, all Marine security guards still protecting classified information. Uh, Department of State was there, and they had a, they were within the multinational forces Iraq headquarters in the mm-hmm. green zone in Baghdad. Um, so same sort of philosophy. We're controlling access into that. It was it was a, a section of one of Saddam's former palaces, and we controlled access in another. But of course, we had response to it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's times you get incoming and different things. You know, sometimes the the, the compound was hit. Sure. Um, we were attacked, and so we were responding in a different way. That's very unique for the program, but that's an experience I had, you know, within it. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting kind of jump from a Marine to almost you're playing that ambassador role a little bit uh, as well, kind of bridging that that gap. And you think that a lot of those skills kind of helped you kind of motivate you are where you are today. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what, I got to work with, um, you know, at these, in especially in, in, in Iraq of all places, right? This is multinational forces, Iraq headquarters. Um, you know, you could be working at General Paces coming through, right? Yeah. You have all these people and, and all these important people and Condoleezza Rice is visiting and, and, and at the time Vice President Cheney and they're mm-hmm. all coming through, right? Mm-hmm. And with them, they have all these teams and these cadres and everything, right? You get this huge side of how the rest of the world's working, right? You see mm-hmm. the federal government, you see all these professionals in, in working in a business environment, right? All these offices throughout this whole compound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always kind of been a people watcher. And mm-hmm. that's a perfect opportunity when you're standing at a door, you know, and no one's coming and going. You can watch, right? Yeah. And you just take in your surroundings and you see these interactions and, you know, how people are working together. Um, and it, it really gives you an opportunity to grow, especially mm-hmm. when you're young, right? I mean, I think you're the most impressionable, you know, through your teens and early 20s. And that's where I was. And so I was able to take that in and indirectly learn from these individuals. Mm-hmm. So are, are these like um, uh, Marine security forces, like, are they... Um, guarding the White House and stuff as well. Yeah, so Did there's 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 there is Marine security forces. They're different from Marine security guards. Okay. So Marine security forces, yes, they'll they'll guard 
they'll do things such as that as the White House and mm-hmm. um, you know other areas like that. Marine security guards are specifically with the Department of State okay. um, doing those embassies, consulates. Sometimes they'll do uh, VIP type security for you know individuals traveling. If you have the president flying into London, maybe the Marine Station there in London will help you know be part of that okay. detail. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, and then once again. Um, austere environments like Baghdad at the time, and I was there in 2007, right? It changes mm-hmm. the mission of the Marine Security Guard a little bit. Sure. The, the um, uh, you know, I, I forgot where I was going with the, I had a question lined up and I, it completely slipped my <laughs> mind. Uh, I got it now. Uh, the history of the Marine Security Guard. So you'll have to forgive me. My my Marine history is, uh, I know when your guys' birthday is. That's about it. What's the history behind why the Marines are selected for this? Well, why? it sounds like you need a book for your coffee table. I'll get you the big Marine one with Is the it? Uloban anchor on it. Oh, that would oh, be perfect. perfect. A, a pictorial history of the United States Marine Corps. Nice. Um, illustrations. Very, very timely. We recently had our 248th birthday, so this will this will work well. Is there a coloring section? Yeah, the coloring section. <laughs> we embrace that, by the way. <laughs> it comes with a box of yeah, crayons. Yes. Yeah. All right, now I forgot your question. No, the, the, his, the history, history of the Marine Security Guard. So, yeah, why, why are the Marines selected for this? You know, it started about the 1950s, um, you know, and there was actually a time where they tried to pull the Marines out. I mean, I'm not sure initially who decided, you know, Marines are going to do this, but there sure. was a time that they tried to say, well, we're going to pull the Marines out and Department of State employees threw a fit. Mm. So there's no way uh, because Marines have a reputation, right? And, and yeah, yeah, I mean, um, Marines are tough. Yeah. And, you know, your general Marine coming out of boot camp, coming out of combat training, um, every Marine's a rifleman. That's mm-hmm. the philosophy of the Marine Corps, right? It doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, that's that's your basis. That's your foundation. And I think that has led to, you know, the consistency and the and the, actually the expansion of the program. It's gotten it's gotten bigger um, mm-hmm. over the years mm-hmm. and it's, it's larger now um, than it has been. So I think that's why, and I think that's why it'll stay. Okay. Um, you know, uh, and I can't attribute the quote um, off the top of my head, but uh, it was said that uh, America will always have the Marine Corps because Americans love the Marines, mm. right? And, and being the smalling branch, because many times in history when they've they've considered getting rid of it, hmm. why don't we just move these move them into the army, right? Yeah. Um, but it's always failed. And I know they're kind of struggling with the size right now. Obviously, recruitment is way way down. Yeah, but. Um, you know, before the exit, the Marine Corps was at an all-time high, and they were having a hard time with the logistics at all. Did, were you familiar with any of that stuff? You know, a little bit. Um, and, and actually, the the Marine Corps just met their recruiting goal, so they're the only branch that was able to. Right? Part mm-hmm. of that is because it's a smaller branch, right? Good marketing um, too. Yeah, yes, excellent <laughs> they, marketing. They do have good I marketing. Mean, yeah. Um, you know, they almost they challenge you to join the Marines, right? Yeah, and I think yeah. that's unique to them is that no, we're not giving you a signing bonus if you reenlist. If you do, you know, your four years and you're successful. Yeah, maybe then we'll give you a bonus. We're not doing it. Yeah. We don't know if you're tough enough. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, you earn so your they, spot. they lay that down. Um, so I've been, you know, every once in a while I'll see the numbers influx, but a lot of times you, you see it's kind of administration based, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you'll have a certain president or administration, and they there's an influx, and then you know it changes out, and then mm. there's a little less focus on the military, and you'll see it go down. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. You know, so it just kind of hovers, but. It, I mean, absolutely. There's a struggle with all the branches now, just trying to. They're working hard to keep the numbers. It, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a crazy one, and I, I kind of want to take a segue too, and and say like, what is what is the issue that you see in the recruitment today? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, I think there's, and, and this isn't my expertise, right? Yeah, it <laughs> um, so, was purely uh, speculation. <laughs> purely speculation. <laughs> Tell yeah. us how it is, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think there's a few reasons. One is is there's so much opportunity out there, right? Yeah. And so I think some people, when they're weighing their, their, you know, the opportunity and they're going, well, should I do this, right? Well, that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's part of it. Secondly is, is I think we've done a disservice to students, 
to to kids in a lot of ways by saying college is the way to go, right? And this is, the, and I'm sure you're well familiar. This is a conversation in America right now, right? Yeah. Um, you see the trade suffering, you see the military suffering because you need a college degree, right? We're mm-hmm. putting these kids in debt, um, sending them to these expensive schools when there's great opportunity. Um, so I, I think that's a big part of it. I think that mm-hmm. I think it's turning though. I think it's I think that's changing. I think people are fed up with with exorbitant college costs. Yes. Um, and you know the economy keeps humming along. It's had a couple of hiccups, of course. You know last year did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not gonna. It's it's gonna it's gonna ripple, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know people have been waiting for some time, and um, you know the opportunity people have had since COVID are are gonna, and they are drying up a little bit here and there, mm-hmm. and then people have to look more of their options, and and it's it's always fun when you see somebody who never considered the military, and they go, well, I guess I'll try it, you know, and then they love it. Yeah. Yeah. 20 years, yeah. right? And they're a yeah. lifer. And I mean, those. so many people, you hear that story. I mean, there's, it's, it's ironically, it's usually the, the ones who go, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sign up and I'm going to be in 2030. And they're not. Yeah. yeah. It's somebody else who had no idea they were going to do that. And then yeah. they end up serving for decades. It's, it's an interesting one. I, I think that, I think education is a big factor in it, but I also think that, disgruntled veterans who get out and mm-hmm. stop talking about it. And then when you, re- when we really strip down with them and, and ask them, Hey, did you actually love your, ser- like the service? Like most of them say yes. Mm-hmm. Like, it, but there's this kind of animosity. And too, I think that certain nonprofits pay, play a pivotal role in uh, parading around the wounded, injured and ill veterans. Uh, but let's not go there yet. I want to kind of Rewinded back to those trade skills that you learned. You're you're starting to develop this this kind of heightened sense that your average Marine wouldn't get of these business skills. You're watching, you're observing, and you're you're deploying. and And how? What are those translatable skills that you pulled from that in your transition out of the military? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, people use the term soft skills, right? Sure. That's that's what it's all about, mm. and I, and I think it's so valuable. Um, there's really no, it's I don't know soft skills where that can. There's nothing soft about them. <laughs> I mean, they're super <laughs> yeah. important, and they're very difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think you know if you're a leader, and we talk soft skills, right? It's it's the basics more than anything. Communication, mm. right? Communication. You need teamwork. You need to be able to get along. You need to work well with people. Um, having those things, and that's really what it what it teaches more than anything. To be able to have that, to be able to go through issues, right? You're you're a young, motivated marine, you know, hard charger, and you're trying to do your job, and then you get this. 50-year-old Department of State employee who's a little sassy and disagrees with you, right? Mm-hmm. You're used to, here I am, a sergeant in the Marine Corps. People do what I say. Well, yeah. she's not. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you work through these problems mm-hmm. and you face these challenges, right? So so your skills in dealing with difficult people and dealing with problems, uh, it's such an opportunity to improve and, and you know, learn and grow and, and take those with you. I mean, once again, I think it's, I think it is, it gets fairly unique to the Marine Security Guard program, um, but of great benefit. Mm-hmm. Having some varying methodology there is is also important because, like you said, soft skills. You have your Marine soft skills, and then you have your you know more diplomatic soft skills, right? Mm-hmm. You know how to, how to lay down the law and put a hard line if you need to. The Marines taught you that well. And you learn the diplomacy side, you know, on the State Department side, right? You have that ability to navigate through them a little bit more tactfully, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's a diverse skill set, yeah, right? Exactly. So you can do both, right? Yeah. And, and and as a leader, um, 
I pride myself on difficult conversations on, sure. on you know, and I, and I think the Marine Corps has helped me with that. Right. So prior to being executive director at DAV, I was assistant executive director before that was in human resources. I was HR director. Okay. Um, and hard, you want to place, Oh my goodness. Yeah. You want to talk about tough conversations yeah. <laughs> like on a daily basis. I, yeah, it's, you know, it's frequent. I mean, people are, they're having issues, they're having problems, sensitive things. Right. And of all the places to be this, this Marine who spent time in Iraq and did all this. <laughs> now I am, I'm in a safe space in HR. Right. <laughs> Um, so it's kind of ironic. And yeah, you pull, here I am pulling skills from the Marine Corps to help mm. me be a better human resources professional. Yeah. And absolutely I am because I can, you know, I can have those conversations. And now my current role, um, I value that. I value when people do that with me. I like, I like a level of directness. We have to be yeah. understanding. We have mm-hmm. to be empathetic with people and we have to be sensitive to people's feelings and, mm-hmm. you know, work with people and everyone's different. Right. So we got to know our, know our folks. Um, but we don't get anywhere if we don't address things, if we don't hit problems head on, if we don't talk about things, if mm-hmm. we don't sit there and sort it out. And once again, this is, I was just telling somebody a few days ago, um, we we're talking about an issue and it seemed like uh, one of our leaders was having trouble confronting two individuals that were disagreeing. Well, once again, when I was in the Marine Corps, when I was doing the electronics piece, we worked on uh, cryptographic equipment, right? Sure. Um, confidential communications, yeah. encrypted communications. So we worked in a vault. It was like a big bank vault. Mm-hmm. Well, if you were two Marines upset at each other, go in there and close the door. Yeah, that's <laughs> 20 right. minutes later, it's sorted out. You're walking yeah. out and everyone's fine, Everybody's right? buddies yes, after that. Yes, I mean, so same philosophy, right? When we're not going fisticuffs. That's um, what we should do in well, HR departments is what you're saying. I think we that's an amazing that idea. I'm going to write a letter. <laughs> <It's gonna> <laughs> to your off. local congressman. Yeah. The first rule of <laughs> HR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we talk about communication and leadership and integrity a lot, but I think one of the core values values that you really get out of the military is service, selfless service. So the ability to serve your team, right? I think that that's a huge, huge part of, of what the skills you have. And that's why you're such hard workers, like these veterans who come out and get involved in this. So you developed, you hone these skills and what is your transition like out of the military? Is it pretty streamlined? Do you know what you're going to do? Did you know you were getting out? Uh, so I knew I was getting out. Um, interestingly, so I was engaged to my wife at the time um, okay. in Lithuania. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I was looking at that. And I remember I have a, a gunnery sergeant at the time. Um, really respect him. He, he actually married a Lithuanian and lives in Lithuania now. And, uh, you know, he had um, some adversity, like many in the military, where, you know, divorced and kids, you know, living elsewhere and those kind of things. And um, that's tough, right? And I kind of reflected on the military life. And now here I am with soon to be young wife and we want to have a family. Um, and then I also was injured. So I hurt my back when I was in Iraq. Um, nothing fancy was training, working out. Um, I heard it, but I knew it, it was going to catch up. Did you doing burpees or what were you doing? Pretty, pretty close. Actually it was in the gym doing deadlifts. So, yeah. yes, there was a pop, um, and amongst other injuries, that one, that's would, the worst of all the training that you've done to get to this point, the years and years, the deployments, the stations, and you know, you throw your back out. Isn't that it? Best shape of my life. I mean, I'm bench pressing 300, and here you go, a little, and not even a lot of weight, right? Just you, the warm it's usually up. a pencil, not Just even the, the weight. Up, yeah. you know, like you drop a pencil on the Absolutely. floor and throw your back, <laughs> yeah. cough a little too hard. Well, yeah. So I say, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to get out. This is going to catch up with me. And so um, ended up separating, going back to Northeast Ohio. Uh, my wife and I got married, and you know, here I am. I 
skin. I was a, I was selected for staff sergeant before I got out. You know, mm. I'm feeling good about myself. I was, um, you know, I was a sergeant in Iraq. I'm leading a little fire team of Marines in a combat. Who doesn't want to hire me, right? Like, what can't I do? Yeah, right. Well, so you feel invincible. <laughs> yeah, feel invincible, right? But it's pretty rude awakening. So when I got out, it was January 2009, right? Oh. Right after the financial crisis. Great mm. economic times. Oh, Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I'm bouncing around. For, I'm repoing cars for a little bit. Um, then I'm doing prisoner transport. Mm-hmm. So we're doing like Con Air where we're getting prisoners um, from prisons in, in Arizona in the desert and Wait, flying doing, them to Hawaii. What, what was the occupation? Uh, prisoner transport. And, so how'd you get into that? Uh, so I knew somebody who, who ran okay. a company. So, so this was, was like shortly after you exited yeah, the military. Yeah, I'm bouncing okay. jobs a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And that was one. And so um, get on an airplane full of convicts and they're going back to Hawaii where the prisons are overpopulated because they send them to the contract prisons in Arizona, right? Okay. Um, little bit a little bit of this is is and many can relate to this. A little bit is the thrill of those jobs, like repoing cars and sure, yeah. prisoners, right? Because you're still a little bit of high and after being in the military and doing yeah. that. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't realistic. The money, mm-hmm. the hours, things didn't make sense. Um, so I got into a company doing installing security systems in people's homes and businesses. Um, mm-hmm. And then my back started bothering. I could be on a ladder all day. Um, and then, uh, so I did that about a year. Then I got into a warehouse and I was a warehouse manager uh, and they were breaking down computer equipment and then they'd sell the pieces, parts of the computers, right? Okay. So I did that for about another year and I just, my life's not going anywhere. Like I'm making mm-hmm. $14 an hour. Uh, my wife's not working, right? This poor woman marries me, comes here, you know, moves to Northeast, I drag her to Northeast Ohio. Um, <laughs> we got some little tiny one bedroom, like cottage house. It was like... 500 square foot, the entire home. Oh, wow. Um, tiny little place. So I got to do something. Um, talking to somebody, and he asked him, you know, about DAV. I said, I don't, not really. Uh, but then thinking back, they had helped with my first VA claim when I was getting out. And mm. I just, you know, I hadn't thought about it. And he goes, well, you know, maybe you should look at them. They're, I think they're hiring in Cleveland. So I go up there, I make a connection, uh, go through the interview process. And they fly me to Washington, D.C., go through a formal interview. Um, there was five of us interviewing, and um, the other four were all very well qualified. I was mm. not. Mm. I was not qualified at all. So, Why do you I say mean, that? Well, so just an example, those inter- I interviewed, and this was my perspective at the time, right? I have a high school diploma. I've been in the Marine Corps, unrelated to anything sitting behind a desk, you know, and uh, I worked in a warehouse. I did security systems. So the candidates that were also interviewing, one had a Juris Doctorate, uh, <laughs> one had an MBA, one already worked for DAV in the IT department, was a veteran and was transitioning over, another was a county service officer that already had been doing the veterans' claims forever. Mm-hmm. I never worked behind a desk. Sure. And so um, went to the interview, hit, hit the interview out of the park, right? Um, so it went really well. Um, and and what, do you, what do you think that was? Like, why did you do so well at this interview? You know where I'm going to go with this. Besides you being like you with an awesome personality. It's, 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 it's the interpersonal skills. It's the communication. Like. <laughs> it's the soft skills, buddy. Yeah, soft yeah, skills. Yeah, that's what it's about, right? It's, 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 it's confidence, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I walked in there, and although, you know, at first blush, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, this is, but you know what? I could do this. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's something I, I remember my father telling me years ago, whether he remembers this or not, it's stuck with me for a lot of years. Um, he used to rebuild houses and sell them, flip them, whatever. Um, this was before YouTube and you could figure out how, I said, how do you know how to, like, how do you do all this? How could, I could never do all this. He says, you can. He's like, you could build a rocket. He's like, it's just, it'll take you longer. You'll have to learn how to do it. But you can do it. (laughs) Stuck with me, right? That, you know, that, that I can do it. So, you know, approach it, come in there with confidence. Um, and, and and that was it. I mean, Mm -hmm. talked, was honest and told him where I was at and said, Hey, I got a, I need to work behind a desk. And if I'm going to work behind a desk, 
I want to do something I think I, that I will love doing, and I love helping fellow veterans. Mm. I love doing that part. And yeah, I started in Washington D.C. and fell in love with the job. So I started as an apprentice in our Washington D.C. office. So okay. what is an apprentice? So we have national service officers. So our national service officers are our benefits counselors, if you will. Uh, they're throughout the country. Uh, we also have transitional service officers. We are military inst- installations. As far as national service officers go or NSOs, um, the apprentice is kind of the entry-level position. They go through 16 months of training. Um, they get wow. accredited by the VA to represent veterans. And it's an ACE-accredited program, so they get college credits for going through DAVs. Uh, there's not a more elaborate program out there in the, in the service world mm. uh, as far as they go. So before they can become, become an associate NSO, they have to go through that 16-month program. So that's where I, I started mine in Washington. So they moved me, DAV moved me from Northeast Ohio to Washington, D.C. to start there. Did wow. you get a little bit better of a 500-square-foot place? Or? No, not much. <laughs> You've been to D.C. lately? Or? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, we got another 100 square foot, I think, yeah. on the sixth floor of a old building. Was and the wife excited to get out of Ohio? She was. I um, can't blame her. <laughs> yes. Um, you not know, much I, out there. I think, uh, you know, you've met my wife in passing. She yeah. is a city girl. Um, yeah. through and through, and I think many would gather that by meeting her very shortly. So, yeah, she was very happy. She's a If she could live in D.C. right now, that's where she'd be. Yeah. So, yeah, we settled in nicely there. For I was there um, about two years. Okay. Uh, then I transitioned over to Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I uh, moved up at the Philadelphia office, ended up being the supervisor of Philadelphia, uh, mm-hmm. so handled uh, eastern Pennsylvania, southern New Jersey, and the state of Delaware. I uh, did that for a couple more years before going to our HR department, our national headquarters, being the assistant HR director. It's mm-hmm. amazing. So, so what's, the, what's the primary purpose and mission of DAV? So we do so many things, right? I mean, ultimately, our goal is to build better lives for our nation's ill and injured, right? We yeah. need to take care of them. And, and we've been around over 100 years. Uh, so, you know, there's quite the history there. Mm-hmm. There's quite um, the background and everything the organization is. How done. many employees? So we are a little less than 600. 600. That's nationally. Wow. Which is huge for a, for a MSO. It's large. And I don't think people realize how big we are and how, yeah. how vast our expanse is. So we have over a million members. Um, mm-hmm. And we wow. help over a million veterans a year in meaningful ways. Wow. Uh, we say meaningful ways because we got so many services. There's so <laughs> many different ways that we can help them. Uh, so we're, we're pretty large. And I mean, you know, that's a big push of ours is, you know, we, we do, um, we have billboards and things. Mind you, a lot of that's donated. So a lot of our, our marketing and media items are donated to DAV by companies. Uh, and it's a big push of ours to get those, to get those opportunities, because we want everyone to know who we are. Yeah. We want veterans to know we're out there. <laughs> Come see us. I mean, it, it breaks my heart to see a veteran who's, who's struggling and having difficulties, mm. and they haven't heard of DAV. They don't know who we are. Yeah. Um, you know, and we come across them. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of our major goals is making sure we get that name recognition and nobody in the veteran communi- community is unaware who DAV is. Mm-hmm. I remember um, shortly after I was injured, I got a, a packet in the mail from DAV um, with stickers and pens. And so I was like, this is the best free shit I've ever got. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so a million, a million members. Correct. Wow. Wow, in 100 years. So can you kind of dive into a little bit about the history of how it was started? Absolutely. So we were founded in 1920 uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio. So uh, there was an individual at the time, Judge Robert Marks. Uh, he's very, he was very well known in Cincinnati. His name is still on buildings today. Hmm. Um, of course, his biggest claim to fame is starting DAV, but he was also credited with um, coming up with no-fault insurance. Um, so that philosophy is his. Hmm. He um, banded together with other World War I veterans who were injured. Um, mm-hmm. He had his injuries, and, and they weren't being cared for. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you see the old time pictures of a veteran um, with a tin cup on, on the street with a severe disability. Yeah. That's what was occurring. I mean, it was just a tragedy. Mm-hmm. And so he bonded together. He traveled the country. He garnered support uh, to, to take care of these veterans. And, you know, they built it up from there. You know, foundationally, we have so many programs and services, but I, but I think there's two foundationally that really stand out and have the most impact at DAV. One is our service program. That's those national service officers out throughout the country meeting with veterans, survivors, dependents one on one, and you know, holistically looking at them, helping with their needs. Okay. The second is the legislative action. Mm-hmm. Right. We we march on the hill. We have a legislative team, so we have a a second smaller headquarters in Washington D.C. Um, and they meet with senators. They meet with congressmen and women, they're constantly pushing things. Um, and it's so rewarding to see major legislation go through, have a, have an impact to a large swath, if not all veterans, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and to know that DAV had, had their hand in it, right? That veteran may never know the effort or the work that DAV, and, but it doesn't matter, right? Because mm-hmm. you get the satisfaction knowing, even though they don't know anything, they're taken care of. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's a win. Our team down there is unbelievable. Yeah, doing that, that work behind the scenes, it's so, so important. Yeah. What, what type of legislation have you guys been involved in recently? I know the PACT Act was a really big push recently. Were you guys involved in the, in the PACT? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So um, the PACT Act, when it comes to burn pits, actually, in, in, in told, right? So the PACT Act is the largest legislation of its kind in mm-hmm. U.S. history. So it's, it's providing benefits to veterans that have faced toxic exposure. Um, and this is going back. There's Vietnam veterans that, yeah. that are getting benefits from the PACT Act, right? A uh, yeah. big one being hypertension. So, okay. you know, there's some major legislation um, for those for more recent conflicts, Iraq, Afghanistan, other places. Um, there's over 300 conditions. Um, now, as, 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 you know, veterans have been there, it's kind of scary to think. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. it's so vital. It's so important. Um, so what happened was, you know, burn pits are relatively unknown. There's an individual at DAV uh, named Dan Clary. He's their chief communications outreach officer. So he was a Marine. Then he joined the Air Force. And he deployed. And he was overseas and came across a memo. And it talked about burn pits. Mm. And it was being swept under the rug. Mm. He sent it back to DAV. He's the whistleblower that, that made the world know about no it. And we're very proud of him. Yeah. So um, it all started at DAV. And as this is, we, we, we really, you know, helped lead the charge on this. Mm. Um, you know, when the legislation started going through with the PACT Act, uh, you know, meeting with every senator, um, almost every single person in the House, uh, our team was meeting with to go ahead and say, hey, you need to do this. We need to take care of this because what a disaster, what a, a travesty to Vietnam veterans who had to wait so long for Agent Orange benefits, right? They were exposed mm-hmm. to Agent Orange and there's cancers and things linked to Agent Orange. Mm-hmm. I mean, we lost Vietnam veterans. Well, you know, we also lost Iraq, Afghanistan, but got so well ahead of it because of this, because of those initiatives and, you know, through through our team and our yeah. members and people knocking on doors. Uh, it was just huge to, to get that bill passed. Yeah, I mean, so. be, between Vietnam and them recognizing Agent Orange and, and other toxic exposures, what, 40 years before they started initiating claims against things like Agent Orange and now two years post post-war, post-exit, the PACT Act ends up passing, right? So at least we're cutting that time down pretty significantly. Absolutely. Learning from our mistakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're not doing it ahead of time quite yet. We're not doing it preemptively, doing that preventative stuff quite yet, but you know, hopefully we can get there in due time. Yeah. You know, well, we're, we're getting there. Conflict. Um, <laughs> and one thing, I, and, and this is important, I always mention this, um, so I'll visit the country and I'll meet with our members for different occasions, sure. department conventions, department mm-hmm. being the state level. Uh, a lot of the room has Vietnam veterans in, right? Mm. And I make it a point to this day, anytime I see a, veteran, a Vietnam veteran, I thank them. 
you know, yeah, and yeah. because it's because of their sacrifice, it's because they got treated terribly, terribly. when they came home. Yes. That they make sure I got treated well. I mean, I still remember when I came home from Iraq. Um, I was traveling with the Army um, for an R&R. Since I was there for a year, and most Marines weren't there for a year, they let us go halfway on the Army's R&R for 30 days. And we land in Atlanta, get off the plane. I'm walking out, and there's all these people clapping, right? And half mm, of them had yeah. Vietnam veteran hats on. Wow, and, yeah. I mean, I just remember it like it was yesterday. And not in, I see anybody walking around, I, I thank them. I welcome home, and okay. I thank them for what they've and done And you know for they're me. going right back to when they got off the buses, which you oh, know yeah. we've had Vietnam vets on before. And, you know, I'll never forget that comment that he made is like they had to lock down the windows because people would just throw garbage at them. Yeah. Can you imagine? Human excrement. Yeah. Poop through the windows. Being received like that after defending your country. Um, So that's a great question into 100 years you've been in existence. A lot of nonprofits can't even touch that. Mm. what are some of the modalities that you saw kind of evolve throughout the course of the year or your organization? You know, in World War II, we called it shell shock, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. What, are, what are some of the treatments y'all did back then? And how did you see that grow over the last decades? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're right. Shell shock, battle fatigue, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, after World War II, I mean, you saw a little bit of it, but especially after Vietnam, you really presented a problem, right? Yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of people related to the decompression time that World War II veterans had coming home on ships and things like that, right? Well, it's a different story now. You know, Vietnam, you're in an airplane and you're home. Yeah. One day you're getting shot at, and a couple of days later, you're sitting around the family coffee table. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that that is a stress that needs to be undone. And so, you know, you really started to see that after Vietnam. So, um, you know, DAV has been really involved and started looking at it. Um, you probably heard of vet centers. Mm-hmm. Um, if you oh, haven't, yeah. they're, they're community-based centers. So they're outside the VA, although the VA oversees them. And they're community counseling centers, essentially. DAV helped start that program. So actually, DAV oh. was, was coordinating it all, and it got too big. Mm-hmm. So the VA took it over. Um, so, I mean, we were the foundation of that program too, and we've been following it closely and I'll tell you, um, right now we're, we're about to release a study that we were, we were involved in uh, a report on women veterans and mental health. Um, very timely, right? Cause we see this evolution over the years and now a big focus of ours is taking care of, of female veterans. Yes. Yeah. 20% of new recruits are female right now. They're going mm-hmm. into combat roles. Yeah. Wow. Um, 20%. you know, 20% yeah, at an all time high. That's a major yeah. increase. And, you know, they're still not, although it's come a long way, mm-hmm. the VA has done a good job so far. There's a long way to go, right? And one of, their, one of the areas that needs drastic improvement is mental health. Mm. Uh, people don't realize this, and, and it's, it was almost shocking the first time I heard A female veteran is two times more likely to attempt suicide than a male veteran. But how often do we see a, co- a commercial or we see anything about suicide that has female veterans portrayed? Yeah, never. We almost never do, right? What are the, what are the unique challenges that, that the female veterans are facing specifically? Mm-hmm. Well, so there's a few things going on. Um, one is, you know, their unique care that they need. Um, the care at the VA has been designed for male population, right? So as a good example is they have a very good program where they try and head off someone headed into crisis. So if a veteran walks in, they look for markers, and they go, okay, we got to talk to this person because it looks like they could be headed down that path. Mm-hmm. The baseline for that was done with male veterans. So if you have a female veteran come in, they're not going to, it's not going to automatically, it's not going to work away those markers. No control yeah. group. Yeah. So, and then the second part is there were 
uh, MST, military sexual yeah. trauma, right? Yep. That's not That's part huge. of that study, right? And and so, you know, just now in recent years, I mean, I think they're, they're doing better once again, but still, um, the focus has been on the male veteran population and they got to start transitioning this into the female population, recognizing yeah. that and recognizing those hardships, right? Um, some of it is culture too. Um, some female veterans don't, don't feel welcome at the VA, right? Mm. I mean, I, we've probably heard stories where, from female veterans that they park in the veteran spot and someone goes, oh, is your husband a veteran, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's, there's female veterans that don't identify as veterans. Um, you know, they don't know they're eligible for VA care. Some, you know, a real, this is a real problem. And it's, this is an onus on us. Um, and I say for the three of us in this room and, and other male veterans, sometimes VA medical facilities aren't as welcoming because of sometimes male veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're, if you're going to a VA medical facility to get care, it's, it, other than a ra- routine checkup, it's, it's not fun. You're probably mm-hmm. going, you know, you're probably dealing with something very personal, very intimate. Sure. Um, you're probably stressed and, and female veterans sometimes will go to VA medical centers. And sadly I've seen this and maybe a vet, male veteran will try and flirt with them, mm-hmm. um, and do those types of things. Well, they, that's, that's not helpful. Um, that doesn't make someone feel welcome. So, you know, treating, those female veterans like sisters is what's important. And we got to make sure we're, we're policing, you know, and keeping an eye out and make sure that, you know, female veterans are just as welcome at a VA medical facility as anybody mm-hmm. else. And so that's been a, a challenge in that world too. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think I don't like the acronym MST because it, I think it makes it a little softer, military sexual trauma, right? I think there's not very many, I don't hear it discussed nearly as much as I think it is a problem, right? There is a significant percentage of specifically females in the military who deal with military sexual trauma at a, at a rate much higher than the opposing right female to, to a male. What are, from your professional, maybe from your personal experience as well, what are some things that we can do to address that in the military? From my personal standpoint, I think we, we spend too much time talking about it and not enough emphasis and action uh, either preventing it or know, having consequences against it as well. I think that personally, I think the consequences need to be much more dire and, and the education needs to be less soft about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious from your point of view, being you spent a lot of time in HR, you spent nearly a decade in the military. Now you've been serving veterans for over a decade. Is there something that we can do to, to start addressing that in a, in a more appropriate manner? Yeah. Education's key, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to inform people. Um, and once you do that, you got to make sure people that are looking out for each other, right? And that's, sure. that's huge. And, and I'll tell you, um, in my experience is, is when someone faces something like that. So if you have a female, um, whether you're a female veteran and while, while she had served, maybe she experienced something like that and she reported it. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes there's others that experience that, right? Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. the same in the private world. That's the yeah. same, you know, in, in, in private life, those things happen. Sometimes those abusers, those people that are doing it. It's not just one. Mm-hmm. So we have to empower you know, those, those, those women and sometimes men to stand up and say, hey, this is a problem, right? The challenge is, is that they fear consequences, right? Mm-hmm. Is there going to be retaliation? It's going to be swept under the rug. Yeah. I, I think the military is better about that. Um, but I don't think, you know, it's, things are still there. We're still seeing, you know, individuals get out who, who felt like they either felt or actually did suffer negative consequences yeah. of reporting something like that, mm-hmm. right? So it's a culture change. And, and I do think there's, there's good initiatives out there. And I, and I feel like, and especially as the population of females increases in the military, yeah. that will help too, right? Because, so. yeah, it's going to strengthen the bond. And, and you know, being a, a female in, in the Marine Corps, which has the lowest population of females, I mean, sometimes you're on an island. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, when I was on my in a detachment in uh, Vilnius in Lithuania, there was one female. 
you know, mm-hmm. she's she's there. And we all got along great and it was wonderful. And, uh, you know, but that's it, yeah. right? So yeah. as these populations increase, I think that's going to help too. And that's important. Yeah, I think the education is is really important, and it can't be done in a in a soft way, as Christian Christian mentioned. You know, they have these these programs, like Army Sharp. You know, all these yeah. programs. Yeah, I mean, in, in the Air Force, we we spent uh, during my career. Typically, it was minimum of two days per year, full stand down days of education on we call it SARC, sexual assault response. Uh, you know, center or they, they have different acronyms, but we had at least a minimum of two days full stand down every year where we'd sit down, we'd have the PowerPoint briefings, the, you know, death by PowerPoint for six or eight hours and discuss it. And everyone would sit there and like, and we'd, you know, roll their eyes or no one would pay attention. And I think, I think the education is there. They're, they're trying to implement it from, from my perspective. And I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but the, the consequences need to be more dire in the long run and, and to hold people to those standards as well, right? If, if you're going to let one person get away with it, well, you failed everyone at that point. Now, not only have you failed that female who's, who's been sexually assaulted, but you're failing the people in her unit too, like the people to her left and her right. I, I, I think I'm just hopeful <laughs> that we can actually see a change be made and, and see some consequences. You know, I, I, you know what I do, I do see is, um, Right, this may sound old, right? The young people, the youth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you but kids. it is it is different, right? I mean, yeah. we we think about when we served, and mm-hmm. if we went back twenty five years prior to just twenty years before we served, yeah. it was different. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah, true. And the things that people did, I mean, at that time compared to you know how things were when we served, mm-hmm. and then it's it's this perpetuation, right? And when I look at my kids, I see the things that they're experiencing and they're learning um, that I think is going to set us set us on the right path and and keep. You know, keep that progress as you know, young people continue to serve. I yeah. think that 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 is very important to recognize as well is to spotlight the progress mm-hmm. because oftentimes we look at the situation and we say this is terrible, this is bad, like mm-hmm. it's it's happening right in front of our faces. But you look back on it, it is getting better, mm-hmm. and it and it is, and that education that we're pushing into it and making mandatory, and having the sharp representatives, you know, walking around with the patches, it's reinforcing that education as well. Mm. So, you know, I, I know we touched base on that, and it's fantastic that DAV is frontlining that problem. What are some of the other issues that you're facing working with the VA, right? There's, there's a lot of animosity that goes on uh, with disgruntled veterans in the VA. But at the end of the day, they're working their best in a growing world of 20 million veterans, right? So yeah. so what are, what are some of those issues that you're seeing? You know, it's 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 our relationship with the VA is interesting, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a sibling relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get along really well sometimes, and other times we do not. Sure. Um, so, you know, there's always a back and forth. I would say sometimes the most challenging is when they get into bureaucratic bureaucratic arguments and mm-hmm. things like that where yeah. policy says one thing but then doing right by the veteran is another um, so it's constantly a, a, a battle uh, you know we do a couple things to try and make that better right to help so one thing we're involved in with a couple other service organizations called the independent budget mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that but what we do is we will take a look at the VA's budget and we will help market up for them essentially so there is okay. a multiple page booklet when the VA comes time to submit their budget, we go, here, VA, this is how you should spend your money this year, and this is how much you should ask for. Wow. Um, and then we hand it out to Congress people and say, you know, this is how these things should be spent. Um, so we're going to call them out when it needs to be called out, right? And sure. We want to give them credit for where they're improving. And the VA has just grown and, and done well, you know, for sure, especially in the last 10 years. 
Um, but there's definitely room for improvement. The claims processing, the delays, mm-hmm. um, you know, people shouldn't, some of these delays waiting for these claims to be done is ridiculous, uh, especially appeals. I mean, people can wait yeah. years for appeals sometimes. Mm-hmm. So we're constantly, you know, at times fighting with them and saying, we need to get this done. We need to get this worked. Uh, but there's other times we work well with them. Um, I think they should vet their employees a little bit more thoroughly, to be honest. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. You know, it can vary. Um, so there's a lot of veterans that work for the VA um, yeah. who I think their heart's in it, right? Yeah. Um, but you know who I think makes the best employee when it comes to serving veterans? And people always always say, well, it should be should be veterans serving veterans, right? Well, I agree with that because, you know, three of us are going to take care of each other. We're like siblings. We'll have our little rivalry, but we'll, yeah. we'll take care of each other, right? Yeah. But you know who, will, who won't have that rivalry and will love each one of us? Families. Uh, their families. moms. That's my yeah. wife, yeah. right? Veterans are great. Yeah, yeah the kids. Yeah. I mean, the fathers. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Some of the mm. best VA employees, you know, whether at the whether it's at a VA regional office where they're signing mm-hmm. claims or whether it's a VA medical center, mm. is those individuals. It's the yeah. families because they love unconditionally. Everyone, doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter if you serve for one year in some remote base in Oklahoma, or if you did eight tours to Iraq, yeah. they love you equally, and they're yeah. going to take care of you. Yeah, it, it is great to see the progress that the VA is making, and it's it's awesome that you have that kind of sibling relationship as well, and you have a voice in it, because that is hard to do. Um, but a lot of these nonprofits are really bridging the gap between mm-hmm. what the VA can't can't support at this point and DAV does a lot of these programs that support that. So can you talk a little bit more about some of the programs that are available for DAV? Absolutely. We got, we got so many programs. Um, so, of course, I, you know, I talked about our legislation. I talked about our national service office. So when a veteran comes in or a family member, survivor, spouse, we offer a variety of uh, services. We, we want to look at this veteran holistically. Mm-hmm. So what do they need, right? How do we give this person, make sure they're living their best life, Okay, so we, we, we're going to file, we're going to get you health care. We're going to look at the VA Medical Center. We're going to look at getting your benefits. Okay, so, we'll, so maybe that's monthly compensation. Mm-hmm. Education, maybe you have education benefits. We'll look at going down that road. Do you need a job? Well, DAV has the most robust employment program in the country for veterans. We factually have connected more veterans with jobs than any other organization, company mm-hmm. out there. Wow. Um, you know, looking to start a business, DAV Patriot Boot Camp. It's an intensive two-and-a-half-day program connecting veterans with mentors. Mm. Um, we can do that, right? Facing homelessness, we got, we got community resources. We'll reach out. Uh, we got a new caregiver program, right? Someone comes in and they're a caregiver of a veteran. What are your challenges? How can we help you best take care of this veteran? Because that's better for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's a big one for us. Disaster relief. We have a disaster relief program. Wildfires out in Hawaii, right? Um, We sent individuals, they'll go into these areas, may face a hurricane, tornado, whatever it is, and they will be the boots on the ground. They'll have essential supplies oftentimes. They'll be able to write checks, uh, $500, $1,000 checks. Why why that's important? Well, two reasons. One is because you have a disabled veteran. Maybe FEMA's there. But, but they're not distinguishing between need of who needs it more, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're disabled, your family may need it more. Um, and then the second part is maybe you have homeowner's insurance, but they're not going to pay you for a little while. Yeah. Where, where are you going to sleep? Mm. We're going we're gonna to close that gap. Mm. And we're sending people out to those areas and helping individuals with theirs. So, you know, we're trying to be as wide a breadth as we can. So we're taking care of all those pieces for that individual that's sitting in front of us. And you had 100 years to hone that skill, those skill sets <laughs> in. So, you know, we, we touch base on mental health being, uh, you know, a huge demand now. What are some other prominent issues that you're seeing uh, the veteran need being right now? Mm-hmm. 
Well, um, you know, that is to the forefront, right? Um, the mental health piece. Yeah. But, you know, there's other areas too. Rural healthcare is a big one right now. Um, we're seeing, you know, issues getting veterans in rural areas the care they Food need. Food insecurity as well. Food insecurity is another one, right? Um, I mean, trying to connect these people with those benefits, you know, Indian reservations, even there, right? Mm. Trying to make sure that they're properly supported. Uh, you shouldn't, someone shouldn't have to move to a city, right? That's unreasonable. If where, where you live, you honorably served your country, you have injury, illness based on your service, you should be able to take care of where you're at, right? Yeah. Um, this leads to another conversation, which which I'll mention because I think this relates really well, is the privatization of VA healthcare. Mm. Um, it's a big topic. It's been a topic for years, mm. right? I'll tell you, DAV yes. is adamantly against it. Yeah. Um, I think everyone would agree that if a service member, a veteran, um, needs healthcare, they should be able to get it. If the VA cannot provide it, they should be able to go down the street and get it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But to privatize the VA is a horrible mistake. Mm -hmm. And there's a few reasons for that. One is, I don't know if anyone's recently tried to make a, an appointment at a private dermatologist, but it's going to take you six, eight months, yeah. a year in some of these areas. Private providers are backed up. They can't provide the care that most VA hospitals are doing in an appropriate time frame. Secondly, those that are most ill and injured will suffer the most. Mm. Um, you know, if, if I walk into a clinic down the road in my neighborhood and I have PTSD, combat-related, what are the odds they've treated somebody like that? What if I have an amputation? What are the odds that primary care physician down the street has ever dealt with anyone Mm -hmm. Go to the VA. They've seen it a hundred times over. They've researched it. They've worked with many veterans. Oh yeah, They're, they they know that you know this this injury can lead to these other issues and symptoms. Um, you're going to lose all that. Mm -hmm. They they've already seen a challenge now where those that are getting community based care from private providers don't have the same standards. They're not going through the same training. You know, mm -hmm. we just talked about female veterans, right? They're not getting MST training. They're not asking those questions when they're walking in to see a private provider. There's a huge gap there, right, mm -hmm. um, when it comes to privatization. So we've got to make sure they get the care. If, if there isn't other care available, such as rural areas, maybe via hospitals too far, we need to get them the care. But um, not to take it down another road, that privatization is, is, could be disastrous for, for and, veterans. And how, yeah. do you, how do you bridge that gap? Um, so if they are struggling you know, to get support that they need, what does DAV do for that? Support as in healthcare? Yeah. If, the, if, there's, if there's an issue like that, they, they give you a call mm -hmm. and they say, hey, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't move from my house. Yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah. So, you know, we, we be a conduit wherever we can with the VA. So as an accredited representative with the VA, we get certain access. Mm -hmm. um, I'll relate it first to the benefit side of the house. So if someone comes and as a national service officer, and I'm still accredited with the VA, um, I can take a claim. And I put it in, submit it all electronically to the VA. And that veteran comes back three weeks, says, where's my claim? Well, what's going on with it? I can go into the VA. The VA grants me access to go into their systems and look at it. Wow. And I can go, oh, it's assigned to so-and-so, and they're developing it. Or mm -hmm. it's with a rater, and they're rating it, right? We develop similar relations. It's also a little different at VA medical centers. So, you know, VA uh, medical centers, uh, VA hospitals... They've done really well to develop like telemedicine mm -hmm. um, yeah. and try and expand their things. So, you know, it's it's a responsibility of our national service officers to have those connections and things like that. And they do it all the time where, okay, you're, we see you're struggling. Let's connect you with this person. Mm -hmm. Let's be that in between, right? Our national service officers, I had the same thing uh, primarily when I was a supervisor in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. I built great relationships with VA employees, right? Uh, friendships, really. Sure. And so when I walk up to my friend's cubicle who I know cares about veterans, we're going to get it done. We're yeah. going to take care of it. And I think that's missing a lot of times in the, in the, in the claims world where people are trying to get those services. We have that access, and that makes all the difference. That, that's huge. I had yeah. no idea that you guys even did that. So just even being able to have an answer 
to your your question <laughs> is makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. So another another thing that I want to touch base on as well is, and I think this is a huge issue with the military specific, is transitioning veterans, mm. getting out of the military. You go through all this training to get to where they want you to be, and then they give you two weeks at the end of it, and you get out, and you're kind of lost, and what, what's next? What's, what's to do? What are some of the things the DAV could help with? Sure. So um, as I mentioned before, we have transitional service officers at bases throughout the country, right? Mm-hmm. So they're part of the TAP-TAMS process. You remember the transition assistance program? To your point, mm-hmm. you, go, you get your two weeks, right? Yeah. So we send representatives, uh, and we get along um, you know, with these bases in DOD fairly well. Mm-hmm. So they give us access to be able to participate. So that's the first step. Is we gotta we, we make ourselves known. We mm-hmm. say here we are. This is everything we can do. How we can help you? We can file your initial claim. So we're doing that outreach. We're trying to connect with those individuals, um, and that's that's really where it starts. Then then as long as we get that connection, then we can look and see. All right, well here's employment. Mm-hmm. You know uh, where are you gonna live? Let's set you up with the office over there. So as much as we can do, oh you're gonna start that business. Well let's help you there. Um, go into education, right? You're gonna file with the GI Bill. Well we'll help you do that. Um, you need uh, rehabilitation, right? There's VR and E um, reemployment and education. So it's the traditional voc- re- vocational rehabilitation program, right? Mm-hmm. They're gonna retrain you for something else. So we're gonna we're gonna help do it. But the, but the the challenge is getting that connection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was that young arrogant marine that didn't listen. And there, I don't. I don't know if there's someone. DAV was there, <laughs> and you know I had him review my medical file, put in the claim. But then here I am. I go right. So it, it would be really helpful, I think. And and you see it in pockets, right? Um, bases have their own programs and services, although they're going to follow DOD guidelines, and they're going to everyone's going to go to tap tamps, right? Their involvement in it can vary, right? If you have base leaders making this a priority and saying you need to pay attention, you need to do this, not a base where you just check a box, right? Mm-hmm. And in and in fairness, we can all agree that DOD's job is mission accomplishment. They got to protect the country. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. first. Yeah. And 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 they remember that. And so, you know, sometimes they they get distracted or they forget or it's a true priority and that's what they have to deal with at the time. But, mm. you know, if we could get more of those individuals, those trusted leaders on on basis to embrace these programs, embrace these services and say like no you don't understand. Don't just listen to that guy that's standing in front of the room that you've never met before and you don't mm-hmm. know anything about. Um, this is what I'm telling you mm-hmm. you need to do. So let's talk about your favorite program. My you favorite. Got, you got to have one. I can't do that. I have all these programs. You know, as the executive director, right, at our national headquarters, oh, these programs and go. services. This, you're <laughs> like asking me to pick a favorite child. Here's the HR this response. Is, this is going to hurt some feelings here. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I love them all equally. But I will tell you, uh, so there's a couple, I'll talk about a couple of new ones. Okay. Um, so one thing that I'm really excited about is our, our DAV Patriot Bootcamp. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Super fun event. So what we're doing is we're reaching out to veterans that are starting businesses and we're connecting them with mentors. Mm. So it, it's, it is a bootcamp type theme, although not as aggressive, mm-hmm. um, which just a little, it's just a little fast paced. So we'll bring them in. Um, we'll spend about two and a half days. So people come from different parts of the country. We recently had one at our national headquarters. They're outside Cincinnati in northern Kentucky. Um, so there's 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 typical training. There's typical classes, speakers, right? That's useful. But that's not what makes this so special. What makes it special is we're taking these entrepreneurs and we're connecting with mentors. Mm. And we're not just picking people off the street. We're picking qualified people, successful people. Mm. There are you know individuals that are starting their own business, that are sitting down in front of Bob McDonald, former secretary of the VA, uh, General Casey, mm. uh, 
Chef Robert Irvine, um, successful people who can go, oh, hold on. <laughs> this is how you learn from my mistakes. This is how mm-hmm. you can do it, right? So not just people who you know have started their own business, been successful, but also we'll get we'll get attorneys. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll have a partner at a major law firm out of Cincinnati come down, and you know they charge six hundred dollars an hour. Well, now this entrepreneur has twenty minutes to sit with them, yeah, and it's ask them whatever you want, and and it builds relationships too. So there's in the past, so. so Patriot Bootcamp was acquired by DAB, and we've never acquired anything in our 100-year history, so we acquired it. Uh, so it had about a 10-year history prior to us bringing it on at, at DAB. And when we look back at that, I mean, we can even see where some of those mentors have invested in those businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, it made them more successful. And then what happened, so, you know, the, the event's done with, there's follow-up. These individuals have met each other, and they've developed a cohort, a community like within a community, right? Yeah, DAV is mm-hmm. its own community. We've got a million members. And then it boils down to this proud cohort. Uh, and they're connecting and they're working together. And a lot of these mentors stay in contact. Mm-hmm. Um, you find a lot of them, although some are very active in their careers, uh, some, a lot of them are, are, are further down the road and they have a little bit more free time. That's why they're sure. doing it. Yeah. And they just, they love every minute of it. If they can sit there and help the next generation of entrepreneurs be successful, they're all in. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun. We're, we're working on our uh, 2024 schedule right now. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll have a couple more in, in the, the Northern Kentucky area. And then we'll look also outside to, to spread the wealth a little bit in other places in the country. So who is that program uh, best suited for? Is that people who are interested in getting into business? Is that people who have already started one? Or is it pretty much everything in between? So usually we, we would like people to be past the idea phase, right? Sure. That, that they, they've established a business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it can vary from there. So, I mean, we've had people who, you know, just recently opened the doors to people that are four, five, six years in, yeah. right? They could be down the road. They're just ready for the next step and they don't mm-hmm. know how to do it. So, you know, it can vary along those lines. There's a lot of competition. I would say traditionally the program has had a heavy focus on IT. There's okay. a lot of venture capitalists yeah. type opportunities there, venture capital. So, but it's transitioned a little bit. We don't want that to be the focus. All entrepreneurs are welcome, uh, but it is selective. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people that apply. We, we want to purposely keep the cohort small enough to keep the intimacy. Yes. So that way you really yes. get that bond and that relationship. You could have a hundred people, but then you're going to lose that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if we, you know, our sweet pot, we, spot, we like to think like if we get 30, maintain 30, um, that's really a good, good place for us. And I, I've been to that event, and I think that it's it's phenomenal. It really does culminate a really powerful, futuristic uh, place for our veterans. I mm-hmm. think that they are the future of this country, yeah. um, and and it's it's incredible the work you're doing. I just uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and being able to to share some things about DAV and the incredible works you do. So I just want to close it out with a question of: Has this helped you with your healing? As well, I know that we kind of all struggle internally with with our service and that transition out. But some of the best healing we could ever do in our lives is to help others. So, has, have you felt that from DAV? Absolutely, one hundred percent. I can't see myself doing anything else, right? And, mm-hmm. and when I got into this world, and once again, I I still remember my first day sitting behind a desk and kind of looking out and going, "Well, this is it," you know, my little pencil here, and my mouse here, and you know, I'm ready to go. And and I didn't know where that would take me, uh, but I love coming to work. You know what I mean? I've worked so many crappy jobs in my life yeah. that you know to be able to get up in the morning and not, and and want to go to work and look forward to it. In fact, get up earlier so I can get there, you know, sooner because uh, I just love what I do so much. It's so rewarding. Yeah. Um, you know, I I put in a lot of hours, and mm-hmm. and you know that just comes with the territory. 
I couldn't do that if I was padding stockholders' pockets, right? I couldn't do that yeah. at, at a bank um, just to make money for the next guy, right? Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm padding wealth, right? And it's going in the pockets of the veterans we serve, and I couldn't mm. be more proud of that. Mm. It's fantastic. Yeah. And that, that just hits, hits one of the aspects of our show is that continued service. So thank you for your service, and thank you for continuing your service towards veterans. I appreciate it. Um, thank you guys, and, and, and let me say that uh, you know I want I want every veteran that, that happens to hear this to know they can come to DAV. DAV.org, take a look at our services. It's free. That's what we're there to do. We're there to take care of people. So um, we're going to do it together. Excellent. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Cody. It's been, uh, been a real pleasure. If you guys are interested in uh, learning more about DAV, you can head over to DAV.org. Org. Perfect. Got it right the first time. <laughs> head on over to DAV.org. Check out the services they offer. They're also on social media. DAV, you can find them. They're very easy to find. Uh, check it out. And remember to engage with the video. Like, share with a family member or friend. We'll see you next week. Bye. See you next time.